Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is open up to Matthew, the second chapter. And I'm going to invite you to be finding Matthew chapter 2 in your Bible as well. As always, you will be helped and benefited by following along in the Scriptures. So let's get those Bibles working to Matthew, the second chapter, as we open up and focus our minds here upon God's Word. It is great to see you this morning, and it is great to be with you on this wonderful first day of the week. We have come here today to offer our gifts of worship unto God, to focus on Him, to focus on His things, and let's direct our thoughts and our attention right now to the things that He has to say in Matthew chapter 2. This is a passage that I'm going to guess is probably going to be read in lots of churches this very morning. But I'm going to come at it from a very specific angle. I want to focus our minds on one specific thing in this text. In Matthew chapter 2, read with me if you will in verse number 1. In Matthew 2 and in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come... To worship Him. Now in the next several verses, there's some exchange back and forth between King Herod and these wise men. But drop on down and pick up in verse 9, if you will. In verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Verse 11 now, and going into the house... They saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And there it is. Right there in Matthew chapter 2 is the first recorded act of worship in the New Testament. The wise men come to worship the Lord. Of course, this is not the only, nor is it the first instance of worship in the Scriptures. If you rewind all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 4, what do you find? You find Cain and you find Abel bringing their offerings unto God. You keep working through Genesis and you see people like Noah and Abraham and Jacob erecting altars and worshiping God. You come to the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and you find people offering even more worship along with exhaustive details and regulations that was to guide that worship. But it doesn't stop there. All throughout the Old Testament we see people worshiping God. In fact, we even see the construction of a special facility, a house of worship, the tabernacle, and then later on the temple. You read the book of Psalms and what is Psalms? Psalms is essentially a book of worship. And that just rolls right on into the New Testament here in Matthew 2 with these wise men worshiping Jesus. Jesus, when He grows up, He and the apostles, they are frequently in the temple worshiping God. The early churches in place like Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 20, they are assembled together and they are worshiping God. The Bible even ends in the book of Revelation with, yes, grand and glorious scenes of worship. There is no doubt that worship is one of the dominant themes in all of God's Word. It is a central note in the Bible, and thus it ought to be central to the lives of those who are serious about pursuing after God. 
Worship provides a a foundation for all that we are and all that we do because just like those wise men in Matthew chapter 2, we long for the Lord to have regard for the offerings and the gifts that we bring to Him, yes, yes, even here on this day. But you know, sometimes, sometimes worship isn't done right. If you were reading there in Matthew chapter 2 and if you read the entire context, you'd come to find out that King Herod actually said, Oh yes, I want to come and worship the Lord, but Herod has no real intentions of worshiping the Lord. And he's not the only person to foul worship up or to abuse or to mistreat the idea of worshiping the Lord. If you read there in the story of Cain and Abel, Abel made a huge mess of his worship and as a result the Bible says that for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. Sometimes worship gets messed up. In fact, isn't that one of the big problems with the Israelite nation all throughout the Old Testament? They're worshiping God in the wrong way. Or maybe they're just worshiping entirely the wrong God. They're caught up in the worship of idols. And that continues as well into the New Testament. There are instances of people who are messing worship up. The Corinthian church not doing that in the right way, in the way that truly pleases God. And whenever that happens, whenever worship is done incorrectly, then that can just lead to some disastrous consequences. Ask Nadab and Abihu, or maybe even ask Cain. And so this morning, it seems to me, that we would do well to just go back and to maybe drill down to think about some of the fundamentals of worship. To think about some of those core and basic ideas that undergird good and acceptable and God-honoring worship. And this morning, that's exactly what I want to direct our attention to. I want to set before you three simple keys for offering good and acceptable worship. These keys, I believe, are clearly taught in the Scriptures and they just flat work. And I believe once we plant these three truths deeply in our hearts, they will make a difference in our worship, in how we do it, and why we do it, and that we end up doing it right and getting it right so that God is well pleased. Let's talk about those three important truths. And that all begins with key number one, and that is that worship worship is based on affection. Worship is based on affection. Now, I think we need to start here because I am afraid that many of us have been led to believe that worship is based on command. That God says, hey... You folks get down there and you sing those songs and you pray those prayers and you worship me because I told you to. And if you don't worship me, oh, there's going to be some punishment meted out. And for some folks, that is the only reason that they ever come to church is because they come out of a sense of of obligation. I have to. It's a command of God. Now, let's be certain. God has commanded us to worship Him. He expects that. In John the 4th chapter and in verse 24, that's that verse that we have on the screen before every single worship assembly. What's that verse say? That verse says, God is spirit and those that worship Him, they must worship in spirit and in truth. That is a command from the mouth of Jesus. We are commanded to worship God and of that, there really can be no doubt. The problem though with that idea of just rote obedience is that we can end up creating for ourselves what 
ends up becoming just a mindless habit and we're not actually offering God genuine worship from the heart. You know, when my only motivation to come and to worship is so that I can fulfill a command, hey, I've done what God told me to do, well, then it's very easy for worship to become one of those things that, yeah, I, I have to do. It becomes kind of a checklist item. You know, if God didn't require me to do this, then I probably wouldn't even bother with it. Much better then. Much better is it to see that worship is rooted in my love and affection for the Lord, that I get to worship because I am having an opportunity to show my love to God for all that He's done for me. And repeatedly, Scripture shows us that all God has done for us makes it clear that He is worthy of our love and of our affection. Let's run a couple of passages. Look with me in the Psalms, please. I said Psalms is a book of worship. Here's how the Psalms kind of work. The Psalms show worship to God. And then it shows as well the heart behind that worship. It well illustrates our drive to want to worship God. In Psalm 95, look in verse 1. Psalm 95 verse 1, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is great and a great King above all gods. Drop down to verse 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. The appeal in the Psalms is not, now I tell you what, you better get down there. You better get down there to the worship building before God comes and gets you. God told you to do that. No. No, the appeal in the Psalms is stop and think about how great God is. Think of all He's done for you, both materially and spiritually. Doesn't that cause you to just love the Lord? Doesn't that stir within you some emotion and some affection? Doesn't that make you want to express that love to Him? If you're still hearing the Psalms, look in Psalm 103. In Psalm 103, this is verse 1. In Psalm 103 and in verse 1, this is the Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I mean, we could just keep doing this. We could just keep enumerating all the reasons that we love the Lord. And what that will do is that will just give us more and more motivation to say what David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. And that is why here in just a few minutes, we're going to pause and we will reflect on all of the material blessings that God has showered upon us, how good He has been to us, and that then is going to motivate us in our worship to give, to give of our means back to the Lord. And then as well in just a few moments, we're going to gather around the Lord's table. And for just a few moments, we're going to ponder the greatest sacrifice that has ever been made. We're going to think about just how much God loved us by sending His Son to die on our behalf, and that in turn is going to motivate us to worship Him as we partake of the bread and of the fruit of the vine. You see, everything that we are doing here today, it ought to be fueled and driven by love for the Lord, worship and affection 
Those ideas go hand in hand. In fact, what do we sometimes say about people? We say, oh, he just adores his wife. He worships her. And we know what that means, don't we? We know that that involves affection. Loving God is the very basis and the foundation upon which worship is built. Because the truth of the matter is, love, love changes everything. Love changes how we act and love changes what we do. Isn't that true? This afternoon, uh, our niece, uh, Olivia, Hattie's cousin, and Gertie's cousin, Olivia, she's going to be having her birthday, uh, having a birthday party. Just family, just going to get together over in Rockcastle County at our, uh, my sister-in-law's, uh, Tiffany's sister's house. Just us with family, going to be celebrating Olivia's birthday. Now, I, I want you to know, nobody is commanding us to go to that birthday party. There's lots of other things that we could do this afternoon instead. Nobody is standing over us and saying, now I tell you what, you better come to that birthday party. No. We're going to go, and why are we going to go? Because we love Olivia. Tiffany and I love our niece. Hattie loves her cousin. Gertie's going to learn to love her cousin. And we want to show her our love and our affection. Now think about this. What if this afternoon, what if instead we decide we're just going to stay at home? I mean, it's Sunday afternoon. That's always the best time of the week to get a nap in. We're just going to take a nap instead of going to that birthday for Olivia. And then imagine that the next time that we see Olivia, we go to Olivia and we say, Oh, Olivia, we just love you, little girl. We just love you so much. What's Olivia going to say? Olivia is going to say, or she's at least going to be thinking, You don't really love me. You didn't even care enough to come to my party. What do you mean you love me? Can I ask you? Can I ask you about your attendance in worship? There are some people who maybe even this very day, who this is the first time that they are going to darken the doors of a church building since last December, since last Christmas week. Is it possible, is it possible that we would come here and we would sing songs like, Oh, how I love Jesus. Or, I love you, Lord. And what the Lord is up in heaven is thinking, He's thinking, No, you don't. You don't really love me. Yeah, I hear you saying that, but you don't really show that. You don't even show up half the time. I mean, come on. How much is your affection really for me? In fact, can I just stick with that birthday party metaphor for just a moment? Can I tell you what it is that we're probably going to do at Olivia's birthday party? What we're going to do is we're going to do a bunch of stuff that I want to do. That's right. That means we're going to play some Scrabble. And that means we're going to watch some true crime documentaries. And that means we're going to have long philosophical discussions about the Mandalorian. No. No, no, and no. That's probably not what we are going to do at the birthday. What we're probably going to do at the birthday is we're probably going to do stuff that Olivia wants to do. We're going to be watching her open her presents. And we're going to be singing the happy birthday song. And we're going to be eating cake. And probably she's going to be running and jumping and doing stuff that little girls do. We're going to be doing that because that's what she wants to do. And we're going to do that. Why? Because we love Olivia. It is her day. We are there for her. Do you see the application to worship here? Why are we doing the things that we are doing here on this day? Well, it's because this day is 
the Lord's day. And that means that He gets to decide. We're doing some stuff for Him, what pleases Him. And without a doubt, this is where so many churches in modern Christianity have just gone completely off track. So many churches today are not guided by, well, what does God want? What is it that pleases the Lord? No, so much of what modern worship is about is, is what do I want in worship? I like this kind of music in worship. I like the preaching to be this way in worship. I like to do these sorts of activities when it comes to worship. That's what worship today seems to amount to. Do you see the big problem with all of that? For just as much as that birthday party isn't about me or about Tiffany or even about Hattie, neither is worship about me. doesn't matter what I want. This isn't Josh Day. This is not the church of Josh. We are not reading from Josh's word. No, this is about God. That's who this is about. And isn't that what it's all supposed to be about? Doing what the Lord wants? Doing everything in the name of, by the authority of Jesus Christ, Colossians 3.17? It's about doing what pleases Him. In fact, if you look with me in Malachi chapter 1, in Malachi chapter 1, the very end of your Old Testament, the prophet says here that if you're not interested in worshiping the Lord the way that He wants it done, then, then you just might as well stay at home. In Malachi chapter 1, Malachi talks here about some people who were offering very lame worship. Malachi 1 verses 7 and 8. They were not motivated by love and affection. And so the Lord says to them in Malachi chapter 1 and in verse 10, He says, Oh, that there was one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. I'll say once again, the foundational principle for worship, it's not command. It is love for the Lord. The simplest way for us to think about worship is for us to just think about our love for God. We worship what we love, right? And good worship, it begins with a heart of affection and love for the Lord. That's where it has to begin. But that needs to continue with this second idea. Step number two then is that worship worship depends on concentration. Concentration. Going to need some affection, but we're also going to need some concentration. You know, when we come to worship, what do, uh, what do we do? What do we do? Well, our, our, our body is doing certain things. We are standing for certain songs in the service. We're sitting at other times. We're bowing during the prayer. We're using our hands to turn the pages in the Bible during the preaching. Our body is involved in a number of different worship activities. But of course, more important than what our body is doing is what is our mind doing? What is our mind doing? Where are our thoughts at? What are we thinking about? Are we engaged mentally in worship. I think that, that's the part that God is most interested in. You know, if I could borrow the birthday party illustration once again. Imagine if, if you go to the birthday party and you're there and well, okay, I, I, I showed up because I, I, I love the person who is the guest of honor and I'm here for you and all that kind of stuff. I've got the right motivation it seems, but, 
But the whole time at the party, I'm, I'm checking my watch and I'm looking to see what time it is. Or I'm on my phone and I'm scrolling through Facebook or something else. Or maybe I sneak into the other room and I'm taking a nap right in the middle of all of the party activities. What does that say to the guest of honor? What does that communicate to them? It says to them that you're really not all that interested in being there. You're not really focused on them. You're really not engaged in what's happening there. Do you remember that verse from John 4 verse 24 that we read a moment ago? God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus says we need to do that in truth. That's in the right way, in the way that pleases God, in accordance with the commands and the patterns that we find in the New Testament. But you know what? It's not enough to just get the right five acts down. Jesus says we have to fill those things up with the right heart, the right attitude, the right spirit. Worship requires that we will focus our attention and concentrate on the Lord. What's that mean? Well, that means we got to be thinking about the words of that song that we're singing. And that means we need to be thinking about what those emblems of the Lord's Supper represent. We need to be thinking about the words of that prayer that the man is leading us in and be making that prayer our very own. Now, if I were just to guess, I would guess that this right here, this is where things break down for many of us, this concentration thing. Because I think it's easy for us to come here out of love. I mean, who here doesn't love God? I mean, is there anybody here this morning who doesn't love the Lord? No. We all love the Lord. But once the service starts, oh, it is so easy to allow our minds and our hearts to just kind of drift away. And I'll just be candid with you. Worship can be a challenge. We live in a time when people's attention span are just shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. If stuff isn't happening just all of the time, if there's not stuff moving and jumping and flashing and doing all sorts of things constantly, pretty soon our minds begin to just kind of ping around looking for something somewhere that can keep us engaged. And whenever that's not found, what happens to our mind? Our mind starts saying, bored, 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 I'm so bored. You've seen people who watch television with the remote in their hand and they're just kind of just, just pinging right through the channels. I mean, it doesn't seem like they can ever settle down on anything. It's just, just right through the channels. Can't stay on any one channel for just a few seconds at a time. I think there are people who worship that way. There are people who are just rolling channels. They are rolling channels while the worship is going on. In fact, there maybe are people who are rolling channels right now, even as I'm preaching this sermon. Just Oh, can you believe what she's wearing today? I can't believe she wore that to church. What is the preacher talking about now? I don't even remember what verse he's even talking about. Look at that light bulb there. Is that light bulb going to go out? It's been flickering this entire time. You know what? It's kind of chilly in here. Kind of hot in here. Somebody needs to do something about that thermostat. It doesn't seem like very good worship, does it? It's not. It's not good worship. And the reason it's not good worship is because it lacks concentration. Good worship is always carried by intense focus on the Lord. Look with me in the Old Testament, please, in Exodus 12. 
In Exodus chapter 12, this is in the discussion of the Passover meal. That was an important part of Israelite worship. In Exodus chapter 12, Moses gives some instructions about what all that was to involve when you partake of the Passover each year. In Exodus chapter 12, he says this in verse 26. In Exodus 12 and in verse 26, When your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but he spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads, and they worshipped. I want you to notice that it was the father who was charged with explaining the Passover to the family. And whenever a child spoke up and asked, Hey, what's the meaning of all this? The father did not say, Shut up. Shut up, you just eat the food that's put in front of you and you do what you're told to do and you stand when you're supposed to and you sit when you're supposed to so we can get through this. No. No, the Father explained that this, this is what the Passover means. This is the significance about how God delivered our people from slavery with a mighty hand. And we love the Lord because of that and many other reasons. And so now we're going to focus on Him and we're going to eat this special meal to remember His goodness and His grace. In fact, even to this very day, observant Jews who still observe the Passover, on that night, the youngest child, when they ask the question, why is this night different from all the other nights? The father then, the head of the family, he then tells the Passover story so that everyone then can focus and concentrate their minds on God. You want to know what the New Testament counterpart to that is? The New Testament counterpart to that would be the Lord's Supper. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians 11, you might say that the Lord's Supper is the Christian's Passover. Notice in 1 Corinthians 11 the emphasis on concentration. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul gives these pointed instructions beginning in verse 23 because it seems as if the Corinthians, eh, they weren't really focused on the right things. In 1 Corinthians 11, I'm reading beginning in verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and He said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Think about that remembrance. That involves the use of the mind, doesn't it? That involves some concentration. Verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, not concentrating, they will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some, some have died. Some of those folks in Corinth, they were not concentrating in their worship. And as a result, it was causing all kinds of spiritual problems and weaknesses. Paul says, focus on the Lord. I do believe that affection, point number one, it does speak to our motive and what it is that starts our worship. But you know what? Concentration. 
Concentration is what determines the quality of our worship, both for God and for us. Think about that. When we are focusing intently on the Lord, number one, that honors God, doesn't it? But have you noticed as well that whenever we focus well, when we are really engaged, that there are times that we come out of services and we say, man, I was really lifted up by that. That was really encouraging. That was powerful. That was meaningful. That was edifying. But on the flip side of that, whenever we're not focused, then number one, it doesn't honor God. And number two... We usually don't get anything out of that. I mean, we sometimes even say to ourselves, I don't even know why I even went today. That was a bust. What was the point of that? I didn't get anything good out of that. Brother or sister, do you want to improve your worship? Then what I would suggest to you is get to work on your concentration. There's lots of things you can do to help that. Maybe go to bed earlier on Saturday night if you're having trouble with drowsiness on Sunday. Maybe take some notes during the sermon. Use your hand and get your Bible working so that you can stay engaged with the lesson. Read a passage of Scripture during the Lord's Supper. All kinds of things that you can and need to be doing to focus on the Lord. Whatever it is that you can do to keep your mind right here, that'll make your worship much better and that'll make your worship more acceptable. Worship depends on concentration. Which brings you then to this third and final key this morning. And that is, if we're going to offer God acceptable worship, then that means that worship requires full participation. Look at the Psalms once again, this time in Psalm 100. In the 100th Psalm, I'm reading here beginning in verse 1. In Psalm 100 and in verse 1, there David writes, he says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Hold that thought and look with me in Psalm 111. In Psalm 111, look in verse 1. Psalm 111 verse 1, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. I love these verses because they describe people who are just totally giving themselves over to worship. These are people who are not just, you know, ho-humming it. They're not just dragging in here, just mumbling through the words of the song, get it over with. No. No, these people are immersed in worship. They are participating fully and wholeheartedly. And they're doing that. They're doing that because worship is a verb. It is. I think sometimes we've turned worship into a noun, make it sound like it's a place that we go. But worship is a verb. It's something that you do. You do not passively watch worship. No, it's something that you are actively doing yourself. And I must tell you that this is something that is of grave concern to me. Because in America, we have rapidly become a nation of spectators. Americans tend to not want to do... No, Americans tend to want to watch others do. We buy gigantic big screen TVs. Why? So that we can watch television. We go to those big palatial stadiums and arenas. Why? So that we can watch sports. We pull out our smartphones and fire up the internet. Why? So that we can watch videos. 
We are watchers. We're not so much doers. We're watching everybody else do all of the doing. And sometimes we bring that spectator mentality here to church where we're then going to sit in a pew and we're going to watch others worship, particularly the guys who are up front leading that worship. We're just going to watch them do it. And of course, whenever you are a spectator, over time what that comes to is it comes to a point where you just kind of begin becoming a critic. You begin to evaluate everything that you see. You become like Statler and Waldorf. Remember in the old Muppets uh, you know, show, they'd sit up in the balcony and here they're watching the performance that's happening down there on the stage. And all they ever do is just critique everything that they see in front of them. Oh man, that song leader. Boy, he got he was just 15 octaves off. He made a mess of that song. That prayer, oh my, that prayer just went on and on and on. The preaching, oh, that preaching was so dry, so dull. Can we get a new preacher in here? You see, when we spectate, we completely forget the very first two keys in all of this discussion. We forget about affection. We forget about concentration. Because what we are expecting is that worship is going to do something for us. But things are very different. Things are very different whenever we ourselves participate. Can I use a sports illustration here? I love watching very closely contested games. You know, the kind of games that come right down to the, you know, the very last inning or the very last possession, the very last you know, couple of seconds on the clock. I know that there was a really... I don't even like football, but I had to check out what I heard about this past week's Monday night football game. Went right down to the very wire. I love those kinds of games. Those games are thrilling. Those games are exciting to watch. The games that are decided by just you know, a point or two. But on the field, on the court, how do the players feel about those games? You ask most players, what they're going to tell you, they're going to tell you they don't like those games. What they'd rather is they'd rather be involved in a blowout. They'd rather beat the other team by 45 points and it not even be close. And why? Well, because they as the players, they're not there to be entertained like we are. No, they're there to win. Even if the game is sloppy, even if the game is boring, even if the game you know, you know, doesn't seem to please all the masses, they don't care. Because as participants in the game, their only objective is to give everything that they can on the field and on the court so that their team can win. Now let me ask you, Christian. What are you doing here this morning? Why are you here? Are you here to watch other people do some stuff so that maybe at the end of all of that, when the final amen is said, you feel kind of, you feel kind of religious? You feel kind of respectable about yourself because, hey, you got up on a Sunday morning and you did what you were supposed to do? You got a couple of dollars worth of God in a you know, paper sack and now you're going to carry that around with you for the next seven days so that you can feel and show others that, hey, I'm a good Christian, I went to church? I'm asking you right now, did you come to watch... Or did you come to participate? To give yourself fully to the Lord? To do that in song and in prayer, in remembrance, to give of yourself financially? And yes, even right now, in a time of focus and meditation on the Word. Did you come to do those things? To be involved in worship as a worshiper? Or are you merely a spectator of other people's worship? Did you come today to participate fully in the things that we are doing? 
I will remind you, you can love the Lord a lot. And you know what? You can even focus on the Lord a lot. But all of that love and all of that focus, it needs to lead you and compel you to do something, to participate. Sometimes there is this thinking that, you know what, well, as long as I'm here sitting in the pew and I love the Lord and I'm, I'm thinking some thoughts about the Lord, I'm, I'm thinking a little bit about the words of that song, that, hey, that's good enough even though I'm not singing. Where's that verse? I realize Ephesians 5.19 says some stuff about making melody in the heart, but the first verb in that verse says singing and making melody in your heart. Or it's easy to say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm sitting there during the preaching, I'm being quiet and being respectful, and I've even got my Bible open, and I'm, I'm sort of focused upon godly and spiritual things, but I'm not really listening to what the guy's saying up there in the pulpit. I'm not really following along and engaging with the Word of God. But you know what, hey, it's good enough because hey, at least I'm here, I've got my Bible open, and I, I look respectable. Again, where's that at in the Bible? Where's God give the thumbs up to that kind of thing? Affection and concentration, yeah, those things are very, very important. But if you are not participating, then you're not getting it right. You're not. James 1.22 talks about being not just a hearer of the Word, but being a doer of the Word. What does that mean practically? That means, that means you need to sing. It does. I tell you, I've heard all the excuses that I ever want to hear in my life about, oh, I can't carry a tune in a bucket, and I don't know anything about music, and oh, I just really don't even like singing. But you know what? Unless you've had, like, I don't know, major vocal cord surgery recently, I'm not aware of any exemption in Scripture that you can just sit there and remain silent during the song service and watch everybody else sing. Brother and sister, you need to open up your mouth and you need to participate. That means as well you need to pray. You need to lock down on the words of that prayer. That means also you need to give. You need to actively be involved in the giving that takes place in this congregation. You need to partake of the Lord's Supper and be involved in that act of worship. In this part of our worship right now, yes. You need to be listening to and you need to be engaged in God's Word as it's being proclaimed. You need to participate fully in the worship of Almighty God. This is a collective activity. It is something that we are doing. And in the course of this assembly, I would imagine that probably several times we probably need to just ask ourselves, what am I doing? What's going on right now? And what am I doing? Am I participating in worship? Whenever there is affection for the Lord, whenever there is concentration on the Lord, and whenever there is participation in that worship to the Lord, then I believe then and only then can we say that we have done what Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28 says, that we have offered unto God acceptable worship. We will have worshipped the Lord in a way that exalts Him. And a marvelous byproduct of that is that we ourselves will be built up. I believe that these three keys, they simplify worship. I think even our youngest of hearts can understand and grasp these concepts. They provide for us a basis for good, acceptable, God-pleasing worship. 
so that we can always do that in a better way as we strive to give God our very best. Now if you're using a songbook, you can be opening it up and turning it to the song that's been selected as a song of invitation. And we are going to invite anyone this morning who has yet to do so to respond to the invitation of Jesus the Christ, to put on Jesus Christ in baptism, as Acts 2 and verse 38 instructs. You can come up out of that water, a new creation. You can be a Christian. And you are now ready and equipped to serve and worship the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and give God your gifts, the worship that you bring to Him from your heart. Can we help somebody to become a Christian today? If you are a Christian, but it may be that you are away from the Lord, you're not living as you ought to, then brother or sister, you need to know that nothing fouls up worship quicker than sin. And when your relationship with God is not what it ought to be, I mean, you're never going to be able to bring Him the gifts that your heart truly would like to because there's guilt and there's shame in your life and in your heart. You need to fix that. Can we pray with you? Can we encourage you? Can we help you to repent? and serve the Lord in a better way. If there is anybody here this morning who needs to respond to the call of the gospel in any way, we beckon you to come through the words of this song. Do that right now while we stand and while we sing.